you're able to capture both the expected risk outcomes and unexpected risk outcomes, which will be different depending on the level of resilience that borrowers have. Welcome to FICO Score Insights, our podcast series covering the intricacies, evolution, and developments across credit scoring, lending, economic inclusion, financial literacy, and as matters emerge in this fast-paced environment, a host of other relevant topics. I'm Lance Brown, host of the FICO Score Insights podcast, and today we've invited David Binder back to talk more about the importance of managing latent portfolio credit risks and assessing consumer resilience, specifically in the context of credit card borrowing and lending. David is a senior director on the FICO Score's product management team, supporting a range of solutions, including the FICO Resilience Index. David, welcome back. Thanks, Lance. Happy to be back. Let's take that deeper dive to talk about these challenges that our clients are facing and how we're helping to solve them. David, to start things off, for listeners who didn't catch our previous podcast, can you please explain what FICO means by resilience and latent risk? Sure. So by resilience, we're referring to a quality of borrowers that relates to their ability to withstand economic stress. So a resilient borrower would be more likely to have a similar credit risk profile, regardless of the state of the economy, while a more sensitive or less resilient borrower would experience a significant increase in their credit risk in a down economy than in a benign economy. And so that's why we call it a latent risk that resilience reveals or sensitivity would reveal. You only see it during these periods of economic stress. David, why do we think understanding borrower resilience to manage latent risk is so important? Well, credit risk professionals are accustomed to the idea of managing both expected and unexpected credit risk in their portfolio. So your expected risk would be based on what you expect to happen, say, in the economy or based on the credit risk profile of the borrowers that you have on your portfolio through a normal economy. Whereas unexpected risks might refer to the types of risks that emerge in the event of an unexpected change in economic conditions, for example. And so a lot of exercises such as stress testing and the like try to capture that unexpected risk. And so understanding the resilience of your portfolio will give you insight about the level of unexpected risk that you might be maintaining on your books and give you a more targeted way to manage that and to improve that profile over time through more targeted underwriting and more targeted account management strategies. So what's special and challenging about credit card portfolios in this context? So what I think is special and challenging about credit card portfolios is the fact that they are revolving credit products and you've got the opportunity to manage the exposure that your credit card portfolio has over time. So it is a common tactic for lenders to adjust the amount of credit line that borrowers have access to in the event of a sudden shift in economic conditions and therefore understanding borrower resilience to that shift in conditions becomes more important for a card portfolio than for other portfolios where that opportunity to manage exposure is primarily made at the moment of underwriting. David, how can lenders better evaluate their credit card portfolios and protect themselves against latent credit risks? 
So having a tool that would allow lenders to quantify the level of resilience that they have within their credit card portfolios would, of course, be an excellent tool in their toolkit for managing that latent risk. And you'll recall from our last podcast on the subject that we discussed FICO's solution to this, known as the FICO Resilience Index, which puts a number between 1 and 99 where lower is better, against every borrower that is also scorable by FICO score. Uh, it's meant to be used in conjunction with the FICO score as a way to, to differentiate borrowers who ostensibly have similar credit risk based on their FICO scores, but different levels of borrower resilience. And so two borrowers that have similar FICO scores, but really different FICO resilience index values or FRI values, we might say, will represent different levels of latent risk on their portfolio. And so to the extent that they're either literally simulating a stressed environment through formal stress test exercises, or just contemplating the additional risk that might be hiding within their portfolio, the ability to look at portfolios by both FICO score and FRI can really give an insight about where there might be pockets of vulnerability within the portfolio that at minimum need to be monitored and potentially addressed as well in advance of such a shift in the economy. Well, using credit cards as an example, how are we seeing lenders incorporate FRI into their risk appetite? Yeah, so risk appetite, first of all, is an interesting concept. Sometimes it's really qualitative, almost a philosophy about how credit should be managed within the portfolio, what kind of limits and boundaries and restrictions might be in place from either a policy or procedure standpoint that would essentially define the boundaries and contours of a portfolio. But in many cases, it's actually a quantitative or a series of quantitative statements. And so one way that we've seen lenders think about incorporating FRI into risk appetite is by looking at their portfolio by some matrix of FICO score bands and FRI bands or segments. And that can be fairly coarse or it can be quite fine. And to look at the relative level of performance that was observed in each of those cells, let's say, cell representing a different combination of FICO score range and FRI range, comparing the performance in that cell or all those cells between a benign economy and a stressed economy, and then making judgments about what kind of cutoffs they'd like to have in terms of the credit risk that they're willing to absorb in both benign times and stress times. And if they look at the intersection between where those cutoffs reside, so I might say, I'm willing to accept people who I think are going to have, say, 7% default rate over the next 18, 24 months, whatever performance window, should the economy remain benign. But I'm only willing to accept a default rate of 10%, say, should the economy experience a downturn similar to that of, say, the Great Recession. And so if I can look at historical performance, if I have enough history, or I've got some industry benchmarks that might help, if I can look at historical performance one way or the other in those two environments, I might be able to say, now I really only want to capture or approve applicants or give favorable pricing to applicants who meet both criteria. 
the cutoff for marginal default rate should the economy remain benign, combined with a higher cutoff of the default rate, I'd expect those borrowers to experience in the event of a great recession-like stress. And so clearly, in this way, you're able to capture both the expected risk outcomes and unexpected risk outcomes, which will be different depending on the level of resilience that borrowers have. You mentioned in the previous podcast that credit card and other unsecured loan portfolios saw some separation of risk within narrow FICO score bands through the pandemic. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Sure. So I think you'll recall that all different loan types experienced separation of risk when we measured it based on the likelihood that borrowers would go into payment accommodations. So these were concessions granted by lenders through the pandemic to help borrowers manage their debt load by allowing them to miss one or more contractual payment. But what we started to observe over a longer time horizon was that borrowers of unsecured loan products, so credit cards and unsecured personal installment loans, they were more likely to default, meaning 90 days or more past due or other serious events such as bankruptcy. And that was more similar to what we observed through the Great Recession, where these sorts of concessions were not widely applied just to a lesser degree. So the lower separation in performance between more resilient and less resilient borrowers reflects the fact that the concessions were effective to a degree, even on those products, and also some reflection of the fact that some borrowers had both secured and unsecured loans and the concessions granted on the secured loans they held probably helped their payment performance on their unsecured loans as well. But nonetheless, we did see that separation where within even a narrow FICO score band, the more resilient borrowers had noticeably lower default rates than the less resilient or more sensitive borrowers over an 18 or 24 month performance window beginning just before the start of the pandemic, say around January 2020. One more question for you. What are some of the use cases for FRI that are specific to credit cards and which ones are the highest priority given today's uncertain economic environment? So the use cases that are specific to credit card portfolios or more generally revolving products relate to management of the credit line that is unused, especially. So that can include the initial credit line assignment and any subsequent credit line increases or decreases. Now, thinking about the use of FRI across the credit life cycle is a useful integrated approach because if you have a low and grow type strategy where you provide a lower initial credit line and grow it over time in a more measured and thoughtful way with frequent reviews, you can use each of those reviews as a moment to evaluate the borrower's credit profile, including their resilience or sensitivity to changes in economic conditions. And so in that way, you can not just manage credit risk better by managing the exposure that more sensitive borrowers represent in your portfolio, you can also manage the borrower experience better by avoiding or minimizing the number of credit line decreases that you need to have in the event of a sudden shift in economic conditions. Now, some line decreases are inevitable, but to the extent that understanding borrower resilience can help you reduce the number or the magnitude of those decreases, the less negative of a customer experience that will be. 
Related to that is a secondary use case around inactive account closure, where credit lines that have been unused for some period of time, exact policy tends to vary lender to lender, can be closed. So again, that risks being an adverse customer experience, especially if that ends up being a line that they were planning to use in the near future or just liked having around. There can be credit score impacts of that closure. So again, needs to be done in a targeted and more thoughtful way. But really the credit line increase, decrease, and initial credit line assignment, those are the use cases that we're seeing lenders use most frequently and to greatest effect. David, thanks for your time today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me again. And to all of you who have taken the time to spend with us, we thank you too. We do appreciate you listening. If you have any questions regarding the FICO Resilience Index, please visit fico.com slash resilienceindex. You can also write to us at FICOScoreInfo at FICO.com or call us at 888-342-6336. And if you enjoy getting industry insights directly from FICO, please be sure to subscribe to FICO Score Insights on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Pandora. Until next time, thanks for listening.